The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. The homelessness numbers. We now have more than 12,000 people in emergency accommodation and homeless across the state. And this comes, of course, um, following, um, what, nine months or more of us being told that we were at the peak of a crisis and that it would start to abate. Well, the opposite seems to be happening. With us is Alice Leahy, who is Director of Services at the Alice Leahy Trust, Paul Murphy, People Before Profit TD for Dublin South West, and Pat Dennigan, who is CEO of Focus Ireland. Alice, let me start with you. Are you at all surprised to see the numbers increasing when we were told they should, albeit slowly, be decreasing? I, I suppose I uh, I am not uh, surprised, Anton, because the home, homeless figures have been growing for some time. It's not just about the eviction uh, difficulties. And I suppose I should point out we don't uh, work, we don't provide accommodation. We work with people who sleep rough. And in a given week, we would have up to 40 men generally who are sleeping out all the time. Now, they are not included in the list and neither are the people who are coming from around the world to seek shelter here. So they're not included. So I think we're going to be in here for some time discussing this issue. And I think we also have never addressed the social problems that lead to homelessness because while I think we're going to, we're kind of being bombarded with figures, but behind each figure, there's a human being, there's an extended family, there may be grappling with addiction. Well, can I ask on that, Alice, are we wrong to conflate general homelessness in terms of emergency accommodation and rough sleeping? Are they rooted in the same issues or are they totally separate? Well, some pe- there is a housing problem and there are people who are working hard and who are trying to buy a house and they can't. But there are people, we made a submission to the Joint Director Subcommittee on Homelessness and Housing and we made that particular point because we we are not talking about the social issues that lead to homelessness at all now. They've been completely dismissed as we come on with figures and bricks and mortar. And I think we have to get back to looking at the social issues that lead to homelessness. But that's what I mean by the decoupling. If we yes. if we address the home the issues that deal with homelessness or that lead to homelessness in the terms of families who are in emergency accommodation, if we got that twelve thousand number down to zero, would we still have forty men, as you describe it, sleeping rough because of separate issues that have caused them to be in that situation? Yes, and it's not popular to say that. I would be considered a bit old hat to to say that, but that's the reality, and that's based on my experience of many years working in the field. It's right across the developed world. Look, you had the men sleeping in the Charles de Gaulle Airport. You have people in New York. We're always going to have those people, and I think we need to make sure we don't forget about them. In the it's somehow it's easier to kind of look at computers and move figures around and say we give more money and then we we argue in the dole about it. But we must look at the problems that lead to homelessness in the first place as well. And when you say homelessness in that instance, do you mean homelessness on, in, in terms of emergency accommodation or rough sleeping? Well, some people who sleep rough get emergency accommodation and I must give credit to the DRHE because I think they, they're working under enormous pressure and we have got a number of people into emergency accommodation but they leave very quickly afterwards and many, I, I think the sad thing is that many of the people we meet have decided this is their way of coping with the world and we must, in a way, it, to say you accept that fact might look as if you're, well, you're not with it at all but the reality is when you work, meet these people who we have, we have two men who come into us every single day 
Uh, they sleep rough. One is from Eastern Europe who has managed to learn English, who's very polite. He comes in, he soaks his feet, he goes on and he, he inspires people who meet him along the way. Then we have another man from rural Ireland who could not cope in accommodation. So you have to look at uh, where did people lose out in their childhood? Were the services there to meet their needs or are the services too far removed from the reality of the lives of these people? Let me then move to uh, Pat Dennigan, who is CEO of uh, Focus Ireland. Pat, in, in the broader cohort then, when we widen out from those who are uh, rough sleeping into the 12,000 now who are in emergency accommodation, we're sort of wearing a hole in an iron pot asking the question, but it bears asking again, what, if anything, is the solution? Good morning, Anton. Um, it, it's it's a really uh, frustrating and disappointing position, and the numbers uh, coming out yesterday are again, yet again, record numbers of people homeless. Uh, just to put it in context, uh, back before um, the the COVID lockdown happened, back in February 2020, uh, the numbers of people homeless, recorded as homeless each month, were 10,148. And through a whole bunch of measures, through really strong partnership, through a real sense of urgency during the COVID crisis, they actually came down to less than 8,000 people uh, in May 2021. And it's all the more disappointing and all the more frustrating uh, that they're now back over 12,200 people um, just less than two years later. But I think what we can And to what do you attribute that? that? Is, is that the, the eviction ban being lifted it's partially the eviction ban being lifted, but it's a whole bunch of things put together. Primarily, it's because we don't we haven't enough houses and we don't have enough housing supply at the moment. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, certainly in the short term, the eviction ban is starting to be reflected in the numbers. Uh, and we at Focus Ireland said uh, on the lifting of the, the moratorium that uh, we wouldn't see the impact of the lifting of the moratorium for a number of months and it would start to gather momentum and be reflected in those numbers and and that's really what we see happening at the moment but i think there's there's a number of things that we can do right now uh, and do over the next few months because uh, a lot of what we're seeing in 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 the increased numbers is is a reflection of poor policy uh, and a, a reflection of a lack of urgency in in dealing with this issue uh, certainly i think we could have much more uh, emphasis and much more uh, uh, encouragement around the whole prevention measures, working with, with people, working with families uh, on a day-to-day basis to make sure that they know their responsibilities, but they also know their entitlements, and working to make sure that the advice and information they get when they're in, in a case management way can actually affect um, their, their, home, their housing position. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, we, we, we brought out uh, a paper a, a number of months ago, uh, and uh, in the short term and in the medium term, um, the, the, the majority of people that we see coming to our services are coming from the private rented sector. And I think we need to encourage and incentivize landlords uh, to stay in the private rented market at the moment, to stay in that position, and, and as a result, keep people in their home at the moment. Uh, I think that's really important. I think there's, there's a, we've been calling for years uh, for the ability to purchase homes with the tenant in situ and the local authorities around the country, Dublin and other places, are starting to do that. Indeed, we're starting to do it as an approved housing body as well. Can you go back to what you talked uh, about that, briefly, if you would, Pat, where you talked about um, prevention through people understanding their rights. How is it that you can educate somebody into a house? 
I think when people come to people, typically, you know, it, typically a notice of termination doesn't appear, you know, overnight. There, there, there can be there can be uh, warning signs as you as 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 uh, during people's lives uh, for that position, and to make sure that people are aware when they're in a, a private rented accommodation that they're aware of their responsibilities and aware of their obligations. An example of that, for example, is many people who are who are coming to us from the private rented. Uh, sector have been in receipt of or or, or, or could be in receipt of uh, hat pins. Uh, to, so to make sure that the, the, the proper entitlements and the proper responsibilities and the proper use of the uh, benefits there uh, are available to everyone. Um, so it, that, that's what I mean as an example to that. Um, I think that there's, there's uh, relatively recently there was uh, a, a new funding model released for the provision of social housing. Now, unfortunately, it was long overdue, uh, but it, it has been released now, and I think it can start to make um, a great difference in the provision of social okay, housing. I, I want to go to the, the second issue that you raised, Pat, housing bodies. you talked about two things. You talked about the, the uh, prevention of those ending up on the emergency housing list, and you um, talked about uh, changes to incentivise landlords to remain in the private rented accommodation market. Paul Murphy, People Before Profit TD for Dublin South West is with us as well. Paul, does have has the policy in respect of landlords now swung so far the other way that what was meant to support tenants is pushing landlords out of the market and causing tenants to lose the properties they would otherwise have access to? No. Um, that's what the landlord lobby would like you to believe, that what we need to do is to reduce tenants' rights, to allow rents to continue to increase to you know, her historic uh, levels. Um, but, but that's really not the answer. That, that would result in a further transfer of wealth from the public in the form of direct state payments of about a billion a year for HAPRAS and other payments to landlords, and then billions of euros extra in the form of rent paid by ordinary workers. The solution is more tenant protections and lower rents. Now, can I just check and on that, Paul? Just Let's imagine that I am a landlord and my mortgage is going up because of the way that the interest rates are going up. My costs are going up. I have all of the the requirements that the Residential Tenancies Board put on me in terms of bureaucracy, of all the lo- local authority requirements in terms of the upkeep of the house. And you're saying that me being able to charge a greater rent to offset that won't incentivize me to stay in the market? It will incentivize you to stay in the market, but at the cost of someone being unable to afford their rent and potentially becoming homeless as a consequence. Um, And that's what we as a society have to work out. What's more important, the landlords getting everything they can possibly get out of their property or us not having a situation where we've almost 12,500 people uh, homeless, children growing up in homelessness, etc. But is the issue there, Paul, but hang on for a second, is the issue then, if we take that landlord example, if the landlord can't charge what they want for rent, their other thing is they say, well look, house prices are strong at the moment, I'll just sell. And we get texts of landlords saying this all the time, I'll just sell and get out of it. The landlord can't take the house on their back and leave the country. No, but they can can sell it to somebody who can get a mortgage and a lot of the people who rent can't. But the state should simply step in and buy those properties. That, that's what the tenant in situ scheme is, and that should be expanded. I mean, we have a massive budget surplus uh, coming up this year of estimated over 10 billion euros. The budget surplus is going to be even bigger again next year. And there is no greater investment than the state can make than actually purchasing properties at market 
rate from small landlords, let them exit the market, no problem. And then people, people's uh, landlord becomes the state, they have security of tenure, and the state is then getting an income from those people. These landlords aren't in it for the good of their uh, you know, the good of society or whatever, they're in it to make a profit. But therefore, if the state was the landlord, the state would be getting a rev- revenue and we managed to avoid this this crisis. We shouldn't allow, like say, it's okay for people to be evicted through no fault of their own, to be made homeless, to have their kids growing up in homelessness, just so, okay, we try and keep landlords in the market. Instead, the state should simply step in. Let me uh, put that to you, Alistair. You talked about your experience over the years in working in, in the area. Do you think that would work? I suppose this type of debate, I think, isolates a lot of people. I think there are some small landlords who who are struggling to survive. I'm not a landlord and I don't speak for that lobby and I work with the people I work with every day. I think we have to go back a bit further. The state stopped building uh, houses years back and they offloaded the responsibility to the NGO sector and housing bodies developed and provide good quality housing that costs money. I'm not sure would it be cheaper for the state local authorities to build houses or for the NGOs that's a subject for somebody else to look at. I'm not into figures or money. Um, but we now are where where we are and you can't wave a magic wand and get houses. So I think we need to have a much more balanced discussion around where we are. I mean, we got rid of the bedsits. If somebody now went to set up bedsits, there is so much bureaucracy. There is so much red tape. Many of this that is coming from Europe and we're paying the price now and we, we need legislation. But I think we've gone over the top. And I think anyone now who is attempting to provide provide basic shelter for somebody. I mean, a few years ago when I was doing my memoir, I went with Catherine Cleary, a well-known journalist at Bagot Street Hospital, where I spent a lot of my life. I set up the intensive care unit. I was night sister there. Now, that building is there. It may be a listed building. There may be something in the legislation that it should be a health facility. But what is more important in focusing on health than to look at housing? So we have a lot of empty houses around, but I think we need a more balanced debate in the dole. Interesting uh, text saying um, tenants' rights should come with some obligations and responsibilities. Um, It will be a cold day in hell before the left will acknowledge that it's an unfair, unsustainable Mm -hmm. situation for landlords at the moment. Then another saying, I don't sympathise with landlords. If they've not done their financial homework regarding their extra income, if I got a second job, I'd pay the extra tax and maybe go into a higher tax rate. This is the same for them. And given where the um, homelessness numbers are, undoubtedly this is an issue that we are going to be unfortunately uh, returning to. Thank you to Alice Leahy, Director of Services for the Alice Leahy Trust, uh, Pat Dennigan, Focus Ireland CEO, and Paul Murphy, People Before Profit TD for Set Dublin. And before, Paul, before I, I let you go, one quick thing. How is new fatherhood treating you? Good. Yeah. Good. I'm getting sleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're doing good. I'm Thanks. delighted. Uh, thank you very much, Paul. Thank you, Alice. And thank you, Pat. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at 9 on News Talk.